0: Funding for the Hinckley Report is made possible in part by the George S. and Dolores Dore Eccles Foundation and the Cleone Peterson Eccles Endowment Fund. Thank you for listening to the Hinckley Report as a podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe at your go-to podcast platform. Tonight on the Hinckley Report, Utah's leaders attract national attention as they weigh in on potential impeachment witnesses. The 2020 legislative session begins with a repeal of the controversial tax reform law. New polling shows what Utahns think about state and national leaders, and Governor Herbert delivers his final State of the State address. Good evening and welcome to the Hinckley Report. I'm Jason Perry, director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics. Covering the week, we have former State House Representative Sophia DeCaro. Doug Wilkes, editor of the Deseret News, and Representative Brian King, House Minority Leader. So glad to have you here with us today. So much happening nationally and locally in politics. I wanna go to uh, one big issue and start with you, Doug, uh, on the impeachment proceedings in Washington, D.C. The reality is uh, the eyes of the nation are on our own Senator Mitt Romney. Sort of the eye of the hurricane right now. Full page articles taken out uh, against him, Jimmy Kimmel talking about him on late night TV. Talk about the position he's in and why so many people are following.
1: The interesting thing is people know who Mitt Romney is, right? He um, said he wanted to be a voice of conscience as it relates to um, uh, the electorate. Um, He's been very critical of Donald Trump. On the other hand, he's been supportive of those positions uh, that Donald Trump takes um, that he wants to get behind. So, government is transactional right now. It's less based on relationships than it used to be. And uh, Mitt Romney has said, you know, he wants to hear from witnesses.
0: Uh, Looks like that's not happened, but. People want to hear what he has to say. Uh-huh. Uh, Representative King, so talk about what people are wanting to have happen, because we don't know that vote will happen soon. We'll see if it goes one way or the other. Uh, how is Mitt Romney positioned himself? How are people feeling about this?
2: Because he, he'd probably be one vote for calling witnesses, right, or at least one. Right. He's indicated that, <laughs> and I think that's the right vote in the sense that I think people deserve and want to have as much information as possible. You've, you've gotten information coming to light recently about John Bolton, what he's going to say in his book. Well, we're going to find out really quickly what John Bolton has to say, but if, it, if he's not called as a witness in this proceeding, we're never going to find out in a position to act on the information that mm-hmm. he provides, and that's problematic for people, and it should be problematic for people. Okay, so, so if you talk about the Republicans, the state nationally here
0: too, what are they looking for? from from Mitt Romney all right do, if, if he does vote to call a witness is, are there ramifications for him so let's talk about locally
3: yeah so I, I think um, of course there's not going to be uh, I think there will be general support I mean we we need to have uh, at least a, a perception that the the Senate is doing their due diligence and I, I don't think he will be faulted for that I think there's support for him and wanting to act on his conscience uh, and and I think that's a positive of course I, I do think he'll He'll probably get some negative ramifications from what from that decision as well. but uh, I think the general population will be supportive of him wanting to lead with his conscience if if that's trying to you know help the Senate do the due diligence. So
0: do you think that that means people will not think he's breaking ranks with the party. he's just is just voting his conscience, as you said, or is
3: well, uh, like I said, I do think he he will probably get some pushback from uh, from from certain elements of the party, of course. But uh, I think the the general population will, I, I think that will ease over time.
1: Yeah, you go know, just, I just I don't think there'll be that uh, that many ramifications, even with Mitch McConnell. Uh, Mitch McConnell just wants to win. Once he wins, he'll go on to the next mm-hmm. thing. Uh, Donald Trump just wants to win in his space. If he can take senators that will help him, great. If they won't help him the next day, he may castigate them. So this is how Washington is working today. And I don't think it's gonna have much of an impact.
2: I think it's remarkable the degree to which the Republican party has become the party of Trump. And partly that's his personality. I don't think we've ever seen a president who is as willing to really castigate, to to go after someone who breaks ranks from him personally. Mm uh... and and this president has done that and i think quite honestly people are fearful of his ability to cause base voters within that particular party to turn on any dissenters in a way that at times really causes those people who may be inclined to want to think about dissenting from becoming fearful mm-hmm. and and falling in line. I don't think it's good for the the policy and the direction of the country, but I think it's the reality of what we're dealing with with okay. today's Republican uh,
0: well, party. I wanna talk for a second about the policy of the country and where people are on this issue. Uh, as we know, the the last few days, these senators have been able to submit questions and you can tell a lot about what they're thinking and where they're leaning by the questions themselves. And I'm just wanting to kind of get to what might happen. So let's just to say there is a vote and the president is acquitted by the Senate. And uh, one of the questions from Mitt Romney I'd like to read to you and tell us what you think might be hidden in here, whether there might be a combination of things uh, that may be declared after the vote. This is from uh, Senator Mitt Romney and one of the six questions that he asked on Thursday. He said, How do we consider abuse of power if the president had more than one motive for his alleged conduct, such as the pursuit of personal political advantage, rooting out corruption, and the promotion of national interests. That's very interesting. So Doug, somehow it's like, hey, maybe there's a a personal interest in here, but there's a national interest, so.
1: I mean, there is, with this impeachment, is there a smoking gun? So on the Democratic side particularly, people say, look, clearly Donald Trump misbehaved. Clearly he shouldn't have done a, a quid pro quo was it in fact a quid pro quo when the money was released? Well, the money wasn't released until people found out he was Mm -hmm. engaged in this conversation. So I think that question simply speaks to, look, the very rarely is something black and white. And here you have different uh, conversations going yeah. on, but you had pressure clearly being being done. Um, those in the diplomatic courts, more than one person saying, hey, we felt this pressure, there are things going on. Yeah. And then at the end of the day, um, do you need to hear Bolton? If in fact you say, yeah, this was wrong and, I don't think he should be removed from office. And that's the calculation the Republicans are making. That's
2: what what Lamar Alexander said. He said, this is wrong, but it's not impeachable. I think that one of the things about Senator Romney's question that's important is, when the President of the United States or any elected official, and it's true for Representative DeCaro, former Representative DeCaro and I, when we swore our oath here at the Utah State Legislature, we swear undivided loyalty to the Constitution of the United States and to the people that we represent. This is not a balancing of uh, interests that we're uh, asked to undertake when we get elected to office. Undivided loyalty is what we are required to give. Now, being human beings, there's that, that you know, realistically, there are mixed motives that come into play sometimes. But the aspiration, the, the mm-hmm. intent, the desire, the need for us as elected officials to act with undivided loyalty, critically important for us to keep in mind at all times.
0: Uh, Sophia, did, did, uh, you have something, because
2: yeah. I want to ask you a question about
3: that. Yeah, I just, I think it's gonna be difficult, uh, you know, as we, discuss. It's going to be hard to narrow in. Was there a crime mm-hmm. uh, done? And what was the intent? There's a lot of gray space on what, what the intention was. I mean, you could argue um, and there are people who are arguing that, you know, if if uh, if there, if Biden did do something wrong, should the president did not look into that? And could that not be the intent just to, you know, uh, look into to if something, in fact, was yeah. being done wrong. So I think that's what uh, is going to hang up the process. And, and is being able to make that a black and white uh, assumption on what that intent was.
0: Mm-hmm. The, to this black and white assumption, t- take what Representative King was saying as, as the truth, is when someone takes the oath of office, and you did when you, were, when you were represented, this undivided loyalty, how does one keep that? How did you, when ultimately all these decisions are sort of run through a political filter?
3: yeah you 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 really just yeah you have to remember why you're there what you're doing let let your uh, you know uh, core conscience guide that for you uh, as much as possible and, and 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 you know you are bound by certain processes and procedures that are in place and that's what we're seeing here um, We're following a process and procedure that's been set in place in these institutions. And and that's what's going to end up guiding the outcome on this. I
1: do think, though, it's I mean, there is a political calculation. There is on the federal government and in the state government. um, You know, is your district red or is your district blue? Are you up for election this year or not? If you're not running for reelection, which we saw with uh, Senator Flake, he went all in. I asked him personally, could you say what you're saying if you were running? He said, no, I couldn't. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that was quite an admission. Um, and, you know, you'd like to see both Democrats and Republicans keep that kind of ethic you just talked about. But well, even in the state legislature, mm-hmm. it's an election year of the state, and then maybe that's why we're not having tax reform.
2: Well, there's an element of that. Th- there, there's no doubt, Jason, that politics plays, uh, has an influence on what we do as elected officials. but. The, the overriding principles that should be guiding us as much as possible is good public policy, fidelity to the state and the federal, most importantly, the federal Constitution. And I think that if you're acting in good faith to try to reconcile, synthesize those competing considerations in the best way that you can, keeping in mind the aspiration to do the right thing for the right reasons, that's all we can ask for from our, uh, our elected officials. And I think personally there's a big gap between between where we should be and where we are, when we look at the chief executive officer of the United States of America,
3: mm-hmm. oh, I was, just, you know, and, and interestingly, Romney is uh, protected. In that senator Romney is not going to be up for election for some time now, so he he does have some safety in putting himself out there. He,
0: he does, but maybe that brings up a point because I'm curious about one of your colleagues, Representative King. So uh, Representative Tim Quinn uh, has a bill for this session that allows Utahns to call back a senator. It's a pretty high bar: 25% of active voters. That's th- over 300,000 signatures. Uh, is that a result of what we're seeing in Washington, D.C.? Maybe, I mean, it's a well, conspiracy you, theory uh, on that uh, one.
2: You talked to Tim, and Tim says it has nothing to do with Senator Romney because he says, you know, this has been in the hopper for some time, and I don't doubt Representative Quinn on that. He's a good friend. But I do think that there are people that are concerned, some of uh, Senator Romney's uh, behavior toward Donald Trump in the minds of many Republicans, particularly, causes them a great amount of heartburn. And and I think that that bill of Representative Quinn's may get some traction because of what people have in their mind about Senator Romney.
1: But, you know, it's House Bill 217, as I recall. and it, um, We editorialized in the Deseret News today um, um, not in favor of that. Because one, you don't want to keep putting people in an election cycle. You don't want policy to drive pulling someone out of office. You pull them out of office through policy in the election. That's why we have the elections. Mm-hmm. And unless there's malfeasance, unless there's some reason for them, you know, they've done something wrong, they've embezzled money, whatever it is, and you want them out, well, there are provisions mm-hmm. in, the, in the Senate to then discipline them and have remove them from the Senate. So um, I don't think you necessarily need this measure because it does seem to further politicize and weaponize um, the electorate. I have a tendency to agree with Doug. One
3: time a I think, it, One I time think in this a row. is just there a, we a <laughs> we consequence of timing. I think this was a timing issue. Um, you know, the the legislature has contemplated uh, the 17th Amendment provision in the Constitution mm-hmm. before when the legislature would elect the Senate, uh, the United States Senator for the state. Right. And I think this just happens to be a little bit of a consequence in the timing uh, rather than the conspiracy okay. angle. You know, can I but- also say yeah, one yeah.
1: thing? Senator Lee's been deeply involved in this. So both of Utah Senators have been deeply engaged in what's happening in Washington right now, which I think is is actually good. The electorate can say, well, do we like what they're doing or not? And the electorate can, can r- rule on that in the vote. But Senator Lee's helping President Trump as they talk about impeachment, but he's also coming out very strongly um, against the, or, or dealing with the War Powers Act and the responsibility right. of Congress. Right. So um, I do think we have two uh, people in Washington who are trying to do the right thing, and then it's up to the voters whether they want that to be or not. You know, if the Democrats have a better way, then you put that forward. But I do like that they're engaged. I see less political calculation by both of them. They're both able to put themselves out there, and I think for Utahns, that's a good thing. Yeah, it's
0: it's interesting as we, as we move to this next topic, uh, just how many times the the Utah thoughts are relevant on the national stage. People do care about what we have to say in Utah. Just a side note. Let's talk about uh, the governor who had also some things to say about the state of Utah. His last State of the State address was given this week. Uh, Sophia, anything you saw in there that kind of caught your attention that uh, yeah. you thought was impactful?
3: Well, it, it was kind of emotional because it yeah. you know knowing that this was his last uh, speech it, to the legisl- his last legislative session true, in fact true. and uh, and you know I, I kind of felt he was being a little bit humble in all of the accomplishments he's made throughout the years but uh, lots of focus on the economy on uh, the assistance to rural Utah he's always been a, a cheerleader for education that came out strongly uh, I think I thought what uh, was very touching was just the way he communicated directly to the people and uh, that that just exemplifies the kind of personal than he has. I think uh, it was a great speech.
0: Mm -hmm. Doug, let's talk about a couple of these these issues. You mentioned the economy. No doubt about it, the state of Utah is doing well. We're like uh, 7% personal income growth, the second highest in the country, like 2.3% unemployment. These are pretty important things for us. Yeah, I mean, um, I feel
1: like I've been hearing the same kind of speech for for many years. The, The economy's done very well. Utah's benefited greatly. Silicon Slopes is doing very well. Um, in fact, Mark Zuckerberg is there yeah. today, uh, um, you know, speaking, uh, gubernatorial debate today out there. But there's a lot of factors that go into that. Um, and I think uh, Republicans and Democrats alike have a strong work ethic um, and uh, are both focused on education and the things that are important to the state. There's work to be done. And. Um, but my, my thoughts go to, what about the next 10 years? Because we are on a cycle. The economy is cyclical, whether whoever's, whomever's in the office. And uh, there are gonna be challenges ahead, and I'm glad we have a bit of a buffer financially.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Representative, uh, one of the things he talked about, which seems to be something a few Republicans are talking about, is the environment. Talk about some of the things he say, said there, and maybe is this becoming a sort
2: of a bipartisan issue? Well, <clears throat> I don't think there's any question that you, what you just said is true, Jason. We, we've had now for several years a bipartisan Clean Air Caucus. I think Representative yeah. DeCaro was probably a part of that when she was in the legislature. And I think both Republicans and Democrats have recognized for some time up in the legislature about the economic impact of these kinds of issues, as well as the obvious importance of environment for its own sake. Mm-hmm. We all need to breathe clean air, and we all need to have clean ac- access to clean water. So those are things that fortunately in Utah, more so than on the national level. You've got the ability and the willingness and the uh, experience in the past of having Democrats and Republicans working together in a way that benefits Utah. And so I'm grateful for, for Governor Herbert. I think he's had this, he's been the governor uh, during this remarkable run of economic growth for Utah. And, and it's not completely because he's the governor, of course, nobody thinks that, but it's not completely disassociated with him either. And I think that Utah has been lucky quite honestly, to have him as the governor in many ways. I One thing that I have always given him credit for, and I will give the, his predecessors, our, uh, Republican and Democratic governors who were predecessors, credit for is they have ensured that the people that are chosen for the judiciary, Supreme Court justices and district court judges in this state, have been really high-quality quality individuals who were well-qualified regardless of political orientation, regardless of ideological orientation, and Utah has benefited from it. And we have a reputation across the country among all the states for having an extraordinarily high quality judiciary.
1: Mm. And I I think there are just um, excuse me, Sophia, but um, I think clean air uh, and the environment has come to the top of the list. The governor wanted nearly $100 million in there. They want to put electric car stations so you can get all the way through the end of the state. You have a mayor of Salt Lake City now who's said everything will be done through the lens of clean air. You have Ben McAdams who's focused on this um, back in Washington. So there's absolutely a realization that for every reason, particularly good health, but also for you know uh, the economy, people want to come here if the air is clean, they won't want to come here if yeah. if it's dirty. Absolutely right. Yeah,
3: and what's great about this is you know, we've already seen an improvement, a thirty percent improvement was cited, and and that's not sufficient for for the state of Utah. So, you know, it, it's great because it's part of the culture to be proactive in this and, and addressing this. And, and and what's great is that even though there has been improvement that's not good enough. We we want it to be better. We want a better quality of life, and we're going to put the policies in yeah. place to make that happen. Your but
1: colleague, Natalie Gochner, here at the University of Utah um, uh, with the Kempsey Gardner Policy Institute, they've provided a roadmap now uh, under the legislature's direction. And it is a put great it. roadmap. And so now there is there is some clarity for all of us to follow.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Let, let's get into the, these policies as they translate into legislation, because uh, we're we're one week into the legislative session now. Uh, Representative King, um, uh, tell us what the flavor is, is sort of the session. Sometimes when we when we approach, there's like a big issue or something we're going to tackle, but uh, have we seen that yet? What do you think the
2: well, that it's going to be? It, it, before earlier this week, it was tax reform and whether we were going to repeal and how we were going to deal with the referendum, like, likely getting on the ballot in November. With the Decision by the leaders of the legislature to repeal tax reform, that's sort of taken the air out of that balloon. I don't think you're going to see, uh, so it's the story, potential story, that I think will end up being quite a non-story because I don't think that leaders of the legislature are going to want to tackle that issue again. And, and so we move on to other things. We've talked about clean air. The governor, as, as Doug mentioned, had a proposal for $100 million on clean air and other environmental issues, which I think would be great to see. The problem is that that money has to come out of the general fund, and we're still dealing with this structural, these structural balance issues. So ex- explain that a bit, because our education fund's up $100 million. Yeah. The general fund is down. So the education fund is funded entirely by income tax. Income tax growth over the last year has been very good. People talk about a surplus. It's just a surplus on what we projected 6, 8, 10, 12 months ago. So we do have more money coming in than we projected, but we still don't have enough money in that education fund from income tax to fully fund both public and higher education. We're still taking money out of the general fund. The general fund is funded primarily by sales tax, which has not, it's been growing, but it's not been growing as quickly as the education fund on the income tax revenue so this structural imbalance we still need to address the fact that we're constrained relatively speaking by the revenue that's available in the general fund to fund all these things including such mm-hmm. things as the hundred million that the governor wants for environmental issues so we got to address this it's not gonna happen in this session but in the next year or two it will happen
3: well that will be interesting to watch is is what what components might be addressed um, you know they tried to, to deal with it in one big giant fell sweep but maybe it's better to handle some of these things incrementally. There were a lot of good things um, in that tax bill that the general public would likely support. Uh, it will be interesting to see if there'll be appetite to maybe handle a little bit of those and, and do that incrementally.
0: Mm-hmm. So Doug, that's an interesting point because you, you have a Democrat here talking about the structural imbalance seems to me fi- needs to be fixed right away. Uh, both sides of the aisle kind of get into this. When you are know, they going to- you put me in the middle. So. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's why you're there right there. So
1: talk about that. I think um, from the voter point of view, it's frustrating to say there's such urgency with tax reform, such urgency, we're gonna have a special session. Good news, we've passed it, but um, the public didn't accept it. And the food tax was a part of that, messaging was a part of that. Um, So to now say, okay, we're gonna have a 45-day legislative session, we're gonna repeal it, and we're not gonna touch it. So why not um, Mm -hmm. a cynic, or maybe if I'm a media cynic, I guess I am. (laughs) Um, Everyone's up for re-election. You don't want to go down that path during an election. Okay, well, now you go another year. Utah's in a good place financially. I think that's legitimate. Um, but if this is a key issue, I wish they would debate it now while everyone's here.
3: Uh-huh. I would agree with that. I mean, we have to remember the legislature constitutionally, their job is to pass bills, enact law, and to appropriate a budget. And um, this really falls under the responsibility of the legislative body. And so um, it would be interesting, you know, in it, to see yeah, if it does yeah. get kicked down the or yeah. not handled. It, it does yeah. need to be
2: addressed. The problem is, from the leadership perspective, they feel that they've been bit twice now. At the end of the last session in 2019, there was a bunch of backlash. We had the special session, huge backlash in the form of the referendum. So I think it's more likely than not that what you'll see is it will be tackled because it has to be tackled at some point. But I agree with Doug, it doesn't need to be tackled in this session. We're going through a relatively robust economic growth period. I think that you'll see the next governor into the 2021 and 2022 sessions, mm-hmm. that governor is gonna to have to deal with this issue, and those legislatures are gonna to have to deal with this issue. Yes, very true.
0: Uh, any other bills you're watching this session that we should really know about, the things you're gonna think are gonna capture at the attention. Doug, what are you watching?
1: Well, I think education is always key. How are uh-huh. they gonna fund education? I, you know, we personally are very interested in, in clean air, so we're gonna see how much money is given to yeah. clean air. Um, You know, there's some smaller bills like uh, Daylight Saving Time. Um, Yeah, that's back again. If they pass that. (laughs) Every year. You know, four states (laughs) have to agree (laughs) to (laughs) it. It is, but you think nationally there might be some uh, motivation there. So there's those types of things. But but this uh, session, from a media point of view, doesn't really have a stamp on it yet. So we'll see. We'll
2: see what rises. Okay. There, there's, it's an election year, and so there are going to be some issues that people use as wedge issues to want to talk about. Uh, there are going to be a couple of abortion bills, I'm sure, at least, and maybe more. I've got an op-ed this morning in uh, the Deseret News that talks about our perspective as Democrats on that. We're going to be talking about it one way or the other. Let's talk about it in a way that doesn't drive people to their corners prematurely. Let's talk about it based on facts and reasonable discussion. And I think that we can find common ground on some of these things. Okay. Uh, I want to just and
0: with a poll that, uh, that we just did with the Deseret News with the Hinckley Institute of Politics and the Deseret News about the governor's race. Because so what you said is right, all these decisions are gonna land uh, on the desk of the next governor uh, and these are not small issues. So I wanna talk about this. Maybe maybe Doug, you can go through a couple of these numbers with us for just a minute. So in this poll, um, the, the people were asked who they would support for governor and they drilled, we drilled down into the Republicans who are going to show up for that primary. And they said, I'm very likely, I'm a Republican and I'm gonna show up. And so the numbers were these, John Huntsman, 33%. Spencer Cox 25%, Jeff Birmingham 5%, Greg Hughes 3%, Thomas Wright 3%, Amy Winder Newton 2% with a 25% don't know. That's a little bit of a change over the last couple of weeks in terms of this polling.
1: It's a little bit of a change, and that you certainly see the front runners. Um, there's a strong name recognition. We spoke to those at the at the lower end, and they're saying, yeah, a lot of people are undecided. There's also this question of how many Democrats will, for the primary, switch over to Republicans so they can have a voice? Yeah. Because in our state, it's, it's um, with all due respect, hard for Democrats to have the voice. And, you know, a two-party system has value and benefit, and you want to put forth good candidates. So I think it's early. I think now people will start to pay attention. Um, so there's a, a measure of hope for those who are on the lower end, if they can get out to the different districts and, uh, and convince people that they're the person, vote for something different. But clearly, um, uh, Cox and Huntsman, uh, they're in the forefront for people who typically vote. Yeah, they
0: certainly seem to be. When you're running for office, Sophia, so uh, h- how did you try to capture that other group? So you have people, the Republican, Democrats, they seem to know their candidates, and in this case, we see them pretty well, but how do you capture that other group and say you need to engage? Because there are a lot of unaffiliated voters in Utah.
3: Yeah, well, that's very, very difficult, uh, very difficult to to try to do their targeted outreach, but um, you have to just pick up voter one voter at a time, and you know, And 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 do your best to you know target uh, that population. Um, It'll be interesting. I I believe it's still a bit early, uh, still very early um, for this gubernatorial race and and what we're going to be seeing over the next few months. Um, But it is exciting.
0: So in the last couple seconds, Representative King, a Democrat talking to these Republicans, what should they focus on?
2: (laughs) Well, look, I mean, I think you should focus on somebody who is going to who is principled and pragmatic. And and if you have somebody who's going to be principled and pragmatic, that's about as much as we can hope for. Okay, we'll watch for it. Thank you for your comments today. So insightful.
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode of The Hinkley Report. If you like listening to the experts talking about the issues, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast app.